We are so happy that you're here with us this morning. My name is Danny. Um, uh, we've, um, we've started CCF LA four years ago. And I think um, I'd like to just declare this a testimony of God's faithfulness, of the power of God's presence in our lives. And, um, you know, you won't believe this, but four years ago, Pastor Insong and I started CCF LA in a house. We're just four couples, five at most. And um, I told Pastor Insong, Pastor Insong, we will be a good team, okay? I can preach and you can sing, right? That's a good combination. And you know what? Because I can preach every Sunday, you have to preach alternately with me. And when you're not preaching, I should sing. He said, that's a bad idea, okay? You know, but in spite of that, you know, God made CCFLA what it is today. All because we obeyed the Great Commission. And I really believe to this day that it's not about how well you preach or how well you sing. It's all about being faithful to the obedience of God to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He doesn't stop there. And God said, And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And today, it's a testimony of God's faithfulness because we did that. And you know, I, I am one of those, I guess, testimony of how God uses small people, <laughs> ordinary people, to accomplish good things for him, all for his glory. And this morning, we just want to give God the praise. Can we worship God? And this is not our venue regularly. We worship in Pasadena. We move from one place to another, just trusting God where God would lead us. And ever since, Pastor Insong and I just decided, let's disciple men and women. And many of you probably don't understand the meaning of discipleship. That's why if you're interested to find out what it means, we're here. Because that's the very key by which God will use all of us to touch the lives of people for eternity to change them. And you know, this morning, <clears throat> I have the privilege of introducing one of the CCF member now, but they started as not CCF, they just joined us. And she is going to testify on the power of discipleship to change lives. I would like to call on a sister, Ella, are you here? Oh, there she is, I thought she disappeared. Ella Cedro, okay? I will just ask her to give glory to God this morning by her personal testimony. Good morning. Um, my name is Ella Cedro. I'm married to Bobby and mother to our two boys, Bian and Daniel. I am the fourth child in the family. I grew up in a religious family and my father was a soldier in the military. My father was a noble officer, but my father's meager salary could not support us. He retired early and went into the private sector. 
When I was in fourth grade, my dad was diagnosed with a mental impairment. My dad was in and out of the hospital, and there were days we would wake up and would not know what to do. Some people were kind enough to help us, but there were also those who laughed at us and ridiculed us. My mom had to juggle work, caring for my father, and having to raise her five kids. It was a tough life, yet my mother persevered. I would always be grateful for her sacrifices, and unknowingly, it was her example that gave me a foundation for what is to come. When my eldest sister went to college, she had a friend who shared about Christ's love. She, in turn, told our family about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. At the age of 13, I asked the Lord to come into my life, and I became a Christian. Despite my newfound faith, I would ask God why he was not healing my father. I learned to trust God amidst the storm. And he reminded me that his grace is sufficient for me. I became involved in a local Christian church where I met my husband. He seemed to be a promising and a God-fearing man. So I entered into this relationship without my parents' approval. My parents wanted me to finish college first, but I disobeyed them. We were in this relationship for five years. A couple of months before our marriage, I found out that I was pregnant. I was too embarrassed for people to know that I was pregnant, so I took abortion pills and did anything I could do to lose the baby. Yet, I have been. After a month of giving birth, I conceived again, and again I tried to lose the baby, and again I have Daniel. I know it only takes a, one pill, and yet the Lord has preserved their lives. My ways are not his ways, my plans are not his plans. It wasn't an easy road, alongside my father's illness is a bigger problem. My husband did not turn out to be what I expected. Like, while I was pregnant, he was either out with his friends, playing billiards, smoking cigarettes, or getting drunk. He would come home in the wee hours of the morning, drunk. He was also a very quick-tempered man. Once, he spent our rent money on his drinks. These are just a few of his characteristics. This was also a time of financial difficulty. For us, I would borrow money from my mom, my sister, and even loan sharks, those with high interest just to be able to buy cheap diapers and milk just to make ends meet. I felt like Job in the Bible, and I questioned the Lord. There were days I wanted to get out of the marriage, and I could not even say that I love my husband. But I love my kids. I love my kids so much that I was willing to sacrifice for them. In the back of my mind, I knew that the Lord has not forgotten me. Despite my trials, I become much closer to God. I practically knelt down on my knees every 5 a.m. just to pray for my husband. But as I was asking the Lord to change him, God was changing me. When we went to the U.S. in 2001, my husband's way of saying, Pinarosanjani, Lord. My husband was still smoking and drinking. 
One day, I heard my youngest son cursing, the same curse my husband was saying. When I told him about the incident, I asked him, are these the kinds of kids you want to have someday? Do you want them to grow up with the same vices? It was his choice. He never heard a word from me again. That was 12 years ago. Today, my husband is a much better man. He is our spiritual leader in our home. He taught our kids how to pray, to read the Bible, and see prayers answered. He bought them their first Bibles. He introduced them to Christian music and supports their guitar and saxophone playing. He spent time playing various sports with the boys. He would buy just about anything for the benefit of his kids. A lot of times, he would just share jokes at our dinner table that would make us laugh so hard. There were also times he would just share a teaching insight and suddenly notice tears in each other's eyes. He's there when my kids have their own disappointments and victories. He constantly hugs them and tells them they did a good job. He is always the first one to say sorry to me and to my children. Now that they are teenagers, he taught them the value of service for the Lord. He encouraged them to use their musical abilities to serve in his ministry. He would constantly remind them of their priorities. My kids respect and honor him. It has been said that it only takes one person to impact a family, but it takes the right person. He is a husband who divides my grief and multiplies my joy. He was one man who was willing to lay down his life for his family. As the woman in this relationship, I strive to submit to his leadership despite the not-so-clear future, to trust and never end ever-changing God and willing to make the sacrifice to produce better children. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. I hope that my husband and kids would agree that I have become a much better wife and mom. We still have our share of arguments, battles, and struggles. These will never go away. The difference now is that God is in the midst of it all. My husband and I may fail each other, but we have a God who doesn't fail us. To God be the glory. You can go better than that. Give God the glory, okay? Let's pray for them, shall we? Father God, you are awesome. You're mighty. You're sovereign. You can really change lives, broken lives, and bring them whole, reflecting your goodness and your glory. And this is exactly what we see in the lives of Bobby and Ella. Lord, thank you that you are using them now in such a way to demonstrate your ability, Lord, your power to change lives. If you can change their lives, Lord, you can change ours. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to guide them as they lead a group in Riverside. Continue to, to, to show them, Lord, that it is indeed the investment of people in the lives of people, teaching them to mature in Christ-likeness that makes a difference in their lives. Thank you for touching the life of Ella, saving her, and in the process, saving Bobby. And thank you, Lord, for Jesus, because apart from Jesus, their lives would not have changed. So, Lord, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise, and use this couple for your glory until kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you. This morning, you know, we have the privilege of, um, again, having a special guest. He needs no introduction. He, he's known virtually all over the world now, I guess. He just came from Brazil together with his wife to uh, preach about or share about families. And yesterday, we had a great time with him, um, you know, in learning about how to become better families. Those of you who were here, did you appreciate what happened yesterday? Yeah. Amen. And you know, and he is he's still with us to encourage us further. Um, pastor Peter Tanchi was the one who started CCF 30 years ago, Pastor? Yeah. And they will celebrate their, uh, we will celebrate our 30th anniversary this August 31st. Right, August 30. And um, uh, it's, it's a long story, but he started it. He made the bold move to believe in the Great Commission. And we are here today because of that leading from God that touched Pastor Peter to do what he is doing today. And he has been a man of example. He preaches. He does what he preaches. And, you know, he's been our inspiration. He's been the one discipling all of the leaders who are all over the world doing the same thing. And we're privileged to have him. And he really blessed us by his presence in this anniversary. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Peter Tanchi. Praise God. Good morning. Before we begin, I would like to uh, request uh, Danny and Insong and the other leaders to come. Let's pray for them. Uh, Insong, who, who, the key people uh, here. Pastor Danny. Reggie, Brother Nat. Brother Butch, okay, please Brother come Edwin up here and your wives. quickly, and uh, we will pray for you. You know who you are. Okay. <laughs> if you if we don't know our co-leaders, we're in trouble. Guys, uh, Brother Romy, one of the reasons why I always like to pray for leaders because leaders, Sister are, Grace Perez, are always under attack, and uh, God uses all kinds of people. But the kind of people God wants to use are humble people. And I always tell leaders, it's not about position. It's about being a servant of the Lord. So you need to pray for them that they remain humble. I call this the three H. Have you heard of the three H of leadership? The first one is humility. Always be humble. The next one is holiness. Live a holy life. And the third one you got to be a happy leader. Somebody filled with the Spirit is happy. Can you imagine if they're always grouching, always uh, sad, like attending a funeral service every Sunday? My goodness. Uh, I, I tell parents, your family must be predictably happy. And I cannot continue with this without introducing to you my life partner of 41 years. Honey baby, please stand up. <laughs> Come here. You know... <clears throat> My wife has been a, a faithful servant of the Lord. She exhibits humility, holiness, and happiness. Okay? Now, these men and women, I think, Danny, we were together for almost, what, 30 years, 29 years? Because uh, before, you guys were in the Bible study almost from day one. Uh, we started in a home. And then we moved to another home. Then we moved to Green Hills. 
that's the famous garage, and Danny and Grace was not yet married, but I don't know what Danny did to kind of uh, <laughs> convince Grace to say yes to him, and that was a great decision, Grace. So everybody, if you don't mind, let's all stand up and uh, pray for these leaders. In song, uh, we've been together for how many years? Okay, so I praise God for a wonderful team of leaders. Almost all our pastors have been with me for over uh, 20 plus years. We've worked together. You know, it's amazing. If you look at a secular organization where your key people are still with you after 20 plus years, it's a miracle. Especially working with people like me, okay? like my wife. But I praise God because this is all of God. Okay? Do, you, do you believe CCFL, uh, CCFLA is God's work? Yes. So we like to invite all of you to be part of this movement. We are not into monumenting stuff. We are a movement transforming lives like Ella and her husband. Where's Bobby? Bobby, where are you? Okay, Bobby. So, Bobby, her testimony is about you. <laughs> so, I want to pray for you, Bobby and uh, Ella. So, praise God. We all need prayers, okay? But that is what CCF is all about. God uses imperfect people. I tell people, if you want a perfect church where everything is going to be just great, don't join the church. You know why? Because once you join a perfect church, it won't become perfect anymore. So, in CCF here, we love sinners. Because we are all sinners. Amen. Saved by grace. Transformed by grace. So remember the three H's, okay? What's the first one? Humility. Humility. Second one? Holiness. Holiness. What's the third one? Happy. Yes. Danny, that can be your next message, okay? <laughs> so let's pray. Father God in heaven, what a joy for raising up godly men and women who are standing right here in front. We pray for them. We pray for their private lives that they will be good examples. And Father, should they feel discouraged, remind them it's because of you. Let their motivation be love. They love you, therefore they want to serve you. They love the people, therefore they want to serve the people. Help CCFLA to be a beacon, to be a light in America. Let all people know the people in CCFLA are genuine followers of Jesus that will exhibit humility, holiness, and happiness. I now pray for everybody, including their families, especially the leadership family, wives, children. Protect them from the evil one. And I pray for the worshipers who join us this morning, even for guests, for friends. Some of, us, some of them may, might be searching, might be struggling. Lord, whatever be the status of their journey, I pray for your people here, that you draw us closer to you. And I now commit to you this Sunday service, override my preparation, teach me what to say. May your name be glorified and exalted. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do you like test? Do you like test? Now be honest with me. Be honest, louder, yes or no? No. You guys are normal. I don't like tests. Especially when I was in high school, college. Man, you, you kids, you like tests? No. But I realized tests is not bad. In fact, tests 
is good if you understand the purpose of test. A few months ago, I went through physical testing. And the doctor scolded me. Because when I went through the MRI, the doctor said, look at the comparison. Three years ago, look. Three years later, look. I said, what do I look at? The doctor said, look. Are you familiar with your cervical C1, C2, C3, C4? Uh, do you understand what I'm talking about? You see, my disc is compressing the nerve. But the problem is I don't feel pain. And because I don't feel pain, I thought everything was okay. It's not okay. My nerves are slowly dying. And my muscles on my shoulder are atrophying. I'm losing muscle. And the doctor said, three years ago, it was C3, C4. Today, it's C1, C2, C3, C4, C5, C6. Pati yung soft drink, C, you know. I, I said, what's going to happen? He said, you listen to me. Now, she can speak to me like this because she was my classmate. She said, you listen to me. If you don't shape up, something bad will happen to you. I said, what bad? He said, you, know, you can lose all your muscles. So she was afraid. The problem is with my muscle. I have a muscle disease. Praise God, it was not. But I have to undergo radical physical therapy. So for the next 30 days, I was very obedient. I had to go to the clinic every day to stretch my neck, to do physical work, to go through all of those, uh, you know, remember the ultrasound? Those of you who are in physical therapy. I, I praise God. That's why, Danny, where are you, Danny? My muscle is being built up now. You be careful now, okay? Because I get stronger now when I play golf, okay? <laughs> but the point is this. Test is not bad. It's good. Yes? yes? Now, spiritually, how do you know you are healthy? You see, I felt okay, but I was not okay. I have a friend who is a banker. The doctor told him, you almost died. My friend told me what happened to him. Accidentally, he went through a physical checkup. And when the doctor looked at his heart, he went through a test. And the doctor said, you are in the midst of a heart attack. So immediately he had to go through angioplasty. The doctor said, you could have died this week. You see, physical tests is for our good. But the problem with us is this. Spiritually, how do you know you're healthy? Well, I'm going to share with you. What do you do with tests? It is not enough to be tested. What do you do about the result? You see, in my case, three years ago, I knew something was wrong. I did not do anything about it. Why? I did not feel pain. I only did something about it because somebody scolded me again. She said, you are in trouble. And I went to see her by accident because she happened to be my classmate and she won't charge me for the bill. Okay, so <laughs> I praise God for this lady. Now, I want to share with you the reality of spiritual testing. Everybody, if you don't mind, let's read these verses together. Genesis chapter 22. 
By the way, if you want to know our series, if you download your DVD, I started preaching on Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. Reason, I find this book foundational. Let's read 22 verse 1. Everybody. It came about after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do you notice God took the initiative to test Abraham? After these things, what are these things? If you look at your Bible, chapter 21, 20, 19, all the way back, God has been dealing with the faith of Abraham. Abraham's faith was not perfect, but it was progressive. Abraham flunked the test many times. He lied about his wife. Not just once, twice. But Abraham's faith was progressive. And God wanted to develop the faith of Abraham. So the Bible says, after these things. The last thing that Abraham went through was when God asked him. Do you recall? God asked him to give up his son, Ishmael. Years ago, God asked Abraham to give up his family. He left Mesopotamia. He left his country. He left the comfort of home in obedience to God. And then God asked him to give up his nephew, Lot. Do you recall? God kept stretching the muscle of Abraham's faith. But let's face it. The guy would pass. The guy would flunk. This is the final exam of Abraham. After this, you don't find God testing him anymore. This is the pinnacle of his test. Ladies and gentlemen, you will go through testing. Why? Not because God hates you. He loves you. I love this quotation. The Bible tells us, I mean, somebody made this quotation. The devil tempts us to bring us down, but God tests us to bring us up. Can you turn to your neighbor? Tell your neighbor, God tests you to bring you up. All right? Now, what is my scriptural basis? Ladies and gentlemen, let me repeat. You may not like testing. I don't like testing, but testing is good for you. You will go through testing. Guaranteed. Now, everybody, let's read this verse together. James chapter 1. Everybody. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Notice he is speaking to believers. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter, everybody, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So the Bible tells us your attitude about testing, about trials, should now be changed. I don't like testing, but the truth is we need testing. Why? It is always for your good. God wants to transform your character. Do you know that God is more concerned with your character than with your comfort? Let me repeat. God will willingly sacrifice your physical comfort in order to accomplish character development. Because character development is what will go with you when you enter heaven. It's for eternity. Physical comfort is temporal. And God is saying, that is not the most important thing. The most important thing is about your eternity. So, what should be your attitude? Let's look at that verse one more time. Be honest. What should be your attitude? Consider it what? Joy. 
Now be honest with me. Are you having problems today? How many of you don't have problems today? Raise your hand. You don't have problems. Well, somebody did this. <laughs> How many of you have problems? Really? You have problems? Higher, higher. Let me see. Now, don't tell me your problems, okay? Now, turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, be happy. You have problems. Okay, tell your neighbor, be happy. Okay? Now, how in the world can you be happy with problems? That's what the Bible says. Consider it what? Joyful. And this is what I've discovered. My character is usually developed in the midst of crisis and trials. When everything is going fine, my character does not grow. But when things are not going well, I'm going through hardships. I'm going through trials. That is the time when I'm sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God. And when I begin to see myself and I begin to be transformed. So that's the attitude. So don't judge God when you are undergoing trials. I do not know what are your trials, but I know a lot of us have our own stories to tell. If you know my family, we have gone through a lot of trials. I was thinking there is an exception to trials. I was hoping I am exempted from trials. And I discovered the opposite. The more God wants to use you, the more He loves you, the more He's going to develop you. So your attitude is important. And I will share with you, how do you respond to this kind of testing? Would you like to learn? Yes. Alright. Let's see what happened. What is the test? Look at verse 2. Everybody, God tells Abraham, He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. My goodness. Do you know Abraham already gave up his other son, Ismael. This is his only one left, Isaac. Now, Isaac was God's promise to Abraham. Do you recall? How old was Abraham when God promised him a son? 75 years old. Genesis chapter 12. When did God answer his promise to Abraham? Abraham waited every month. He would ask his wife, Mrs. Kumusta? <laughs> the wife said, nothing. Abraham tried and tried. Imagine, there was no Viagra then, okay? <laughs> but he tried and tried after. After 25 years, boom, Isaac. So Isaac was a promised son. It's a blessing. Now God is asking Abraham to surrender Isaac. Now before you judge God, I suggest you read the entire chapter, okay? Some people, right now you are judging God. You are angry at God. You are saying, God, you are unreasonable. You are not good. And I see a lot of Christians failing in this area. Because that is exactly what Satan wants you to conclude. Because you are suffering, God is not good, God is not fair, God does not love you, forget God. My friend, don't fall for the lies of Satan. Testing is always for your good, provided you respond properly. So God told Abraham, surrender your eyes. Notice, whom you love. 
The first time you see the word love in the Bible is in Genesis 22. This is the love of a father to a son. Because God wants you to know, love is more than just feeling. God loves us. Abraham loved his son. And then the first time you see the word Moriah. The word Moriah occurs one more time. It is the place where Solomon built the temple, Mount Moriah. Today, when you go to Jerusalem and you see that dome of the rock over that nice place, that is where Moriah is. That's the temple mount. That place is very, very significant. I'm going to tell you later on. So God tells Abraham, offer up your eyes up. Now imagine you're Abraham. Will you do it? Does it make sense? So what's my message today? Everybody, read this together. Surrender your eyes up. What does that mean, surrender your eyes up? You see, your eyes up is always something that is not exactly bad. It is good. But what is good can become your idol. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything or anyone that takes the place of God in your life. Understand? Isaac is something good. But that something good, the blessing, can become the most important thing in your life. And you forget the one who blesses you. Many times, we appreciate the gifts, and we forget the giver. And God wanted to protect Abraham. What is idolatry? Everybody, read this one more time. It is anything or anyone that competes with your affection toward God and compromise your walk with Him. Let me give you an example. Something good can take the place of God in your life. Idolatry is dangerous because it is usually not something bad. It can be something good. I remember this girl, when she attended our Bible study, it was a husband and wife Bible study, and she told us, you know, I wrote my mom this letter. So she showed us the letter. It is about her boyfriend. She told her mom, Mommy, I must marry this boy, this man. If I don't marry him, I will die. Now, if you're the mother, what will you do? Of course, I don't want you to die. Marry. Three years later, after marriage, she wrote another letter to her mom. Mom, I cannot live with this man. If I don't leave him, I will die. You see, for this girl, the boyfriend has become her idol. Listen to me. Idols give false promises. It cannot deliver. For many people, they think marriage, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, will make her happy, will make you happy. That's dangerous. If you don't believe me, ask all of those who are married today. Okay? Ask all of them. <laughs> and they will tell you, I thought I'll be the happiest person when I marry her. That's what they thought. The point is this, 
Idols are anything that takes the place of God in your life. Let me ask you honestly. I'm not asking you whether you have idols or not. I presume we all have one. The only problem is, do you know what is your idols? And what are you going to do about it? We all have hidden idols. For some people, it's money. For them, the most important thing is money. If I have money, I will be secure, I will be happy. The truth is this. If money can really make you happy, then all the rich people will be very happy. And all the poor people cannot be happy. What's the truth? Rich people, they need bodyguards. You know why? They're scared all the time. If power can make you happy, then all of these powerful people should be the happiest people on earth. You see, power, position, possessions cannot really satisfy your deepest longing. It can become your idol. For some people, it's people. Relationship, marriage. And God is telling you something. He's telling you, you got to surrender your Isaac. Can you turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, surrender your Isaac. You see, all of us have Isaac. I don't know what it is. But I know for many people, it's family. The family has become their Isaac. Their whole life revolves around family. Can I tell you something? Sooner or later, even your family will disappoint you. Let me repeat. Everybody in this room, you look around, okay? Look around. Okay? okay? Are you looking around these people? Listen to me. Everybody in this room, sooner or later, including in song, including Danny Perez, sooner or later, you will be disappointed with them. Understand? Sooner or later, you will be disappointed with everybody in this room by what they do, by what they don't do, by what they say, by what they don't say. People will disappoint you. So if you are thinking people will make you happy, I'm going to tell you something. You are doomed to be disappointed. Only God can really meet the deepest longing of your soul and of your life. But most of us don't understand this. We cling to these idols. God tells Abraham, surrender your Isaac. Now, do you know how to surrender your Isaac? Would you like to learn how to pass this test, the test of Isaacs in your life? Well, I have a simple suggestion. You have to surrender your Isaac in faith. Say that with me. Surrender your Isaac in faith. Just remember one message today. Surrender your Isaac. And how do you do that? In faith. What does that mean? Well, let me first show you the, the series on the book of Genesis. It's about God's triangle of blessing. God tests us so that you will always make sure, God wants you to make sure you are in the center of this triangle blessing. A blessed life is somebody that is focused on God, not Isaac. And because his life is focused on God, he responds through faith. And genuine faith will produce obedience. You cannot separate these three when it comes to a blessed life. First, God. You are focused on God not to get his blessing, but God himself. You respond to him in faith. Genuine faith will produce what? Obedience. Obedience without faith is not sustainable. Faith without God is blind faith. 
Because faith must have an object. So the object of our faith is always God, His Word, His promises. The byproduct of being in the center of this triangle is blessing. Now, God bless you to bless others. Understand? So He wants to know right now, this morning, in your life, for your own good, are you in the center of that triangle or are you out of it? Abraham could have been out of it. There are times he's out of it. And God will allow him to have problems, to wake him up, to put him right back. If you don't focus on God, you focus on Isaac, you're outside the triangle. And you will not experience the fullness of God's blessing. Do you want to learn how to be in the center of the triangle? Would you like to learn how to surrender your Isaac? Right? Surrender in faith. How do you surrender in faith? Was surrender promptly. You got to surrender promptly. Say that with me. Surrender promptly. Abraham rose early in the morning. My goodness. Promptly, early in the morning. And saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him. Notice, in the morning. I remember one of our members sharing her testimony. She was living in with a man. After coming to Jesus, she began to attend Bible studies and the Lord convicted her. The Lord told her, premarital sex is wrong. Living in is absolutely wrong. I didn't even talk about it. I just taught them the Bible. But God spoke to her. So God told her, surrender your Isaac, surrender your boyfriend. Cut this. But you know what? She did not obey immediately. She was saying, all right, one last relationship. One last time. The last hurrah. And then I will tell him we cannot continue. Well, the problem with the last hurrah, after she did that, she finally told him, we cannot keep on with this relationship. Of course, the boyfriend was so angry. She said, I began to follow Jesus. Then she discovered the next month, she was pregnant. So she told her boyfriend, I'm pregnant. The boyfriend said, no problem. I will marry you on one condition. You abort the baby. I will bring you to Australia. The boy is very rich, very prominent. But she learned something. Once you make a mistake, the solution is repentance. You don't make another mistake to cover another mistake. She said, I'm sorry. Well, needless to say, this girl was devastated. She even told me and my wife, who will ever marry me? Can you imagine, buy one, take two? <laughs> well, she was really depressed. But she learned about God. She learned to trust God. She learned that God is a God of grace, that God is a God of redemption. She kept on. The baby began to grow. Would you believe it? Today, this girl and her husband is a pastor of CCF. The ministry is productive. God has transformed their family. But she was the one who was telling us, no one will marry me. Well, you know, God is amazing. If God has somebody in mind for you, will that Prince Charming show up? 
Of course, the Prince Charming showed up, and he does not know mathematics. One plus one is still one. So that's wonderful. No problem, all right? Praise God. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I know God is speaking to some of you right now. And God is telling you, you know what? You need to surrender your Isaac. But I know what's going on in your mind. You're saying maybe later, maybe later. There was this little boy, he was about to cross the street. And the father shouted, stop! The boy stopped immediately. In less than two, three seconds, a car went by. You see, the boy learned obedience. When the father said, stop, he stopped. My friend, I don't know about you. I have learned the hard way. I have learned when God tells me to do something, I do it. You know why? It's for my good. You see, if you don't learn to surrender your Isaac freely, look at me. If you give me something, and I cling to this, and God asks me to surrender it, and I don't surrender it quickly, what will happen? God will, because he loves you, he will still remove that from you. But once you struggle with God, you know, it can be painful. Huh? It can be painful. And some of you are undergoing pain because you refuse to surrender. You're fighting God. Surrender. What is your Isaac? I suggest you learn to surrender promptly. You got to surrender in faith. What do I mean in faith? On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to this young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return. Amazing statement. Abraham said, We will worship and return. In the mind of Abraham, surrendering your Isaac is not goodbye. An act of faith. God promised me Isaac, and he wants to get it back. I surrender that to him, but I know God's going to give him back to me because God promised. Isaac will be the promised son. Isaac will be the promised one who will produce lots and lots of great leaders, generations to come. So how can God take it away? See, Abraham is learning to connect the dots. Remember, at this time, how old is Abraham? Scholars tell us Abraham has been walking with God when he was age 75. God called him. By this time, he's around 120, 25 years old. He has been walking with God for almost 50 years. You see, when God tests you, he calibrates the test. He knows how much you can take. This is the final exam. Abraham knew God. He has been walking with God. You see, you cannot surrender your Isaac. If you really don't know God, it's very difficult to surrender your Isaac unless you know the God who loves you, who wants what's best for you. And once you understand God loves you, He has the best plan for your life, then and only then can you surrender your Isaac. Look at His faith. Stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over. We will worship and return. The first time you see the word worship appearing in the Bible is Genesis 22. What can you learn about worship? 
worship is not shallow. You know, many people today don't understand theology. They think worship is, you know, you, you dance, you know, nice music. Yes, that's good. That, that's singing. But worship is more than singing. Worship is more than just clapping and, uh, you know, jumping up and down. Worship is obedience. Worship is surrendering your Isaac. You see, worship is something you do for God. Not because you feel like doing it. You do it because it is the right thing to do. If you are a student, you study hard for God. That is worship. If you are a mother, you take care of your kids faithfully at home. That is worship. You see, worship is not just once a week on Sunday. Worship is every day. Abraham understood worship is obedience to God. My friend, if you surrender your Isaac, that is an act of worship. How do you surrender your Isaac? In faith. How do I know in faith? Look at Hebrews 11. Let's read this together, everybody. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise up people, even from the dead, from which he was from which he also received him back as a type. Do you understand what the Bible is saying? Abraham could offer up Isaac because of his faith. Faith in what? In the promise of God. Remember, God promised Abraham, verse 18, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. So Abraham put two and two together. If you promise me that my son will have descendants, and you want me to offer up my son, God, you must, gonna be, you must be doing something that is beyond me. Meaning, if I offer up Isaac, but you promise me Isaac will have descendants, that means Isaac must live. Amen? You see, friends, knowing God's promises in the head is one thing. But you got to translate that promise to the heart. You got to apply it. Most of us know God in the head, but not in the heart. Your faith has to grow. My faith is not perfect, but it's progressive. The longer I walk with God, the more I realize God is faithful. You see, your faith must have an object. The object of your faith must be God, His Word. You know, many people do not know the Bible. Right? They don't know the promises of God. If you don't know the promises of God, ladies and gentlemen, look at me. Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Louder. Do you believe the Bible contains the promises of God? Yes. Louder. Yes. All right. If you believe, is the Bible important? Yes. Louder. Yes. Have you read the entire Bible? Raise your hand. Oh, a while ago you said you all believe the Bible is the Word of God, yes? Now I ask you, have you read the entire Bible? Yes. You see, not all. What's wrong? What's wrong? Now you understand spiritual warfare. There is an enemy that is very clearly taught in the Bible. He blinds you. 
He does not want you to study the Bible. And that's why you can read all kinds of novels. You, you, you can look at Facebook every day. You can look at the internet. But when it's time to study the Bible, you have all kinds of excuses. Why? Warfare, my friend. It's called deception. And you cannot grow deep spiritually until you understand the promises of God. How can you grow? How can you put your faith in somebody you don't know? How can you claim His promises when you don't know the promises of God? It's not fair. It's not fair for me to tell you, surrender your Isaac, trust Him. But you don't know Him. That's why in CCF, we believe in discipleship. Discipleship is connecting people to God, teaching you His promises. Don't put your faith on men. Don't put your faith on the words of people. You must always examine what they are teaching. Make sure it is based on the word of God. God gave Abraham a promise. Your descendant will be through Isaac. So he connected the dots. Okay, you want me to surrender Isaac to you, but you promised me Isaac will have descendants. Two plus two is what? Four. He knew mathematics. He knew how to connect dots. Look at your life today. Look, I want you to look at your life. Look at what has happened to you. I want you to learn to connect dots. All the things that has happened to you is not by accident. You are here today. Not by accident. Are you aware of that? God has been guiding you. You know the girl you just married? Are you married right now, some of you? Okay. Don't surrender that man, okay? That's no accident. <laughs> Praise God. Surrender your Isaac in faith, not just promptly. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. Notice, Isaac was not a boy anymore. He placed the wood on the back of Isaac. Scholars tell us Isaac was probably around 20, 25 years old. He carried the wood. Reminds me of somebody 2,000 years ago who carried the wood on his shoulder. His son and took in his hand the fire and the knife so the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham. This is a lovely conversation. Let's read that together. My father, everybody read. My father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood. Where's the lamb? How will you answer that? Let's read that together. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. The two of them walk together. When you surrender your Isaac, faith means what? Faith, surrendering with expectation. Son, God will provide. That's a statement of faith. We shall return, statement of faith. Expectation. Many people offer their Isaac not expectantly. They feel sorry for themselves. Okay, Lord, you want my Isaac? Okay, Lord, you can have my Isaac, not Abraham. Abraham offered up his son in faith, knowing 
that God is faithful. You see, you will not offer up your Isaac until you believe that God has your best interest at heart. You will not offer up your Isaac until you are convinced that God is good. And whatever he does, you may not understand, you may not know why, ultimately, it is the best. And that, my friend, is real faith. But it will be tested. You see, Abraham had no idea what God's going to do. He had no idea how God will provide. He simply said, God will provide for himself the lamb. That, my friend, is how you surrender Isaac. God will take care of me. I don't know how. And the Bible tells us, beautiful picture. They came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Let me ask you, how come Isaac did not fight? How come Isaac did not run? Could Isaac have run? He could outrun his father anytime. Was Isaac strong? Yes, he carried the wood. Abraham could not even carry the wood. It was those two young men. When we were going to go to the mountain, it has to be his son. So Isaac was strong. What can you learn? You see, the Bible tells us the two of them walk together. It's a beautiful picture of how a father is able to disciple his son. You see, Abraham mentored his son. Abraham taught his son, we have a great God, Jehovah. He's faithful, the creator. You, my son, you are the promised child. I don't know how God did it, but he promised me, and here you are, son. And God promised, son, you will be a father of a great nation. Son, God has protected our family. We came all the way from Mesopotamia, Iraq. We traveled hundreds of miles. And God has protected us again and again. God is real. He is our God. You see, Isaac understood the reality of who God is. He did not mind surrendering his life to his father. He trusted the father. He trusted God. Let me ask you, Father, has your faith been transferred to your children? You see, I see many family. I see the father going to worship services, but I don't see the children. I see many parents, they love the Lord, but when I look at their family, their children are not walking with the Lord. What's the problem? You have not taken the responsibility to disciple your own family. Don't do that. Discipleship begins at home. Abraham did a great job. And if I were Isaac, I, was, I would probably be thinking, oh no, what's going to happen to me? Do you understand? Don't say it's easy for Isaac. If I were Isaac, I'll be thinking, But I said, Lord, you promised me. You promised me I will have children. Lord, I'm not even married yet. <laughs> well, the Bible tells us, the angel of the Lord called to him from the heaven above and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. 
He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham raised his eyes. Everybody read with me. And look, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up. On where? As a burnt offering. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Have you sung that song, Jehovah Jireh? That is the exact meaning of this word. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. There are certain things in life you will never learn about God until you surrender your eyes up. Let me ask you a question. When did the ram appear? Before or after? After. After he was willing to offer up his son. When he was ready to kill his son, to offer up his son, what happened? The ram appeared. What's the principle? God will provide. Never early. Never too late. At the right time. When you surrender your eyes up, then and only then will you realize God knows what he's doing. But you will never know that God will provide until you allow him to have opportunity in your life. You see, some of you are struggling right now because God is asking you to surrender something you love. Remember, Isaac is not bad things. These are good things. But God is saying, you know what? It's affecting your love for me. Okay? It's beginning to become your idol. And God wants to protect you from idolatry because idolatry will kill the worshiper. You see, idols will kill us. It gives you promises it can never fulfill. And God is saying, I love you so much. Surrender your eyes up. And when Abraham surrendered, then and only then, do you see the phrase, and the Lord appeared to him and said, what the Lord will provide. You know the word provide is an amazing Latin word. Okay? It's an English word from two Latin words. The first one is pro, meaning before. Videre. Vision, provision. God sees the need in advance and he provides. See, God sees your needs. God knows your need. Understand? And God says, you know what? I'll take care of you. But trust me. God does not want you to trust in yourself. He does not want to, you to trust in your Isaac. He wants you to trust who? God. Can you turn to your neighbor? Tell your neighbor, surrender your Isaac. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. What is that place? Mount Moriah. Where is Mount Moriah today? That is the same place where 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the mountain ranges of Mount Moriah. The same mountain range. Mount Moriah. The only difference is this. God the Father offered up his own son, Jesus. Look at the picture. Jesus was like Isaac. He carried the wood on his shoulder. He did not fight. He willingly died for you. The only difference is this. In the case of Isaac, there was a substitute. 
in the case of Jesus, there was no substitute. He was the substitute. He died for you. Such is the love of God for you. See, God loves His Son. But God is saying, you need a Savior. And God offered up His own Son. He died on the cross. Praise God. He rose again from the dead. This is an amazing prophetic story. You know why? Look at the next verse. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, saying, Behold, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, as the sun which is on the seashore. By your seed you shall possess the gates of their enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, did God know in advance what Abraham will do? Louder. Of course. But Abraham did not know what he will do until he was tested. You see, God did this for the sake of Abraham. God does not need Abraham. Do you understand? God can fulfill his promise. But God gave Abraham an opportunity to be used by God to be a blessing. And God used this story for you and for me that it is possible for a human being to surrender his eyes up because of his faith in the Lord. God knows. But Abraham did not know. Now Abraham knew. I am willing to offer up Isaac. What about you? Are you willing to surrender your Isaac? You will not surrender your Isaac if you don't trust him. And you cannot trust him if you don't know him. This is an amazing statement. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly what? Multiply your seed as the stars. And then notice, notice, everybody read this. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Let me repeat. God does not need Abraham. But God gave Abraham the greatest opportunity to be used by him. Understand? To be used by God, to be a blessing. Look at this blessing. Everybody read. In your seed, all the nations. What do you mean by all the nations? Filipinos, Chinese, Japanese, Americans, all the nations will be blessed in your seed. How was this possible? Who is the seed of Abraham? Read the entire Bible. Jesus, the promised seed. You see, the entire Bible points to Jesus. The New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. What do I mean? Look at Galatians. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, to your seed, that is Christ. You see, it's referring to Jesus. God gave Abraham the privilege of becoming the great, 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 great ancestor of Jesus. And the Bible tells us, let's read this together, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Do you now see the gospel? Because God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to use you to bless others. You see, God wants to give you the great privilege of being used by him to bless people. Abraham had no idea. What a privilege he had. By surrendering Isaac, God used Abraham. Not, to be, not just to be a means of blessing, but to be a means of blessing to the entire world. You have no idea what God can do in your life, through your life, until you surrender your Isaac. You will never know what you will miss. You keep clinging on to your Isaac. Let me close with the story of a little girl who was given a beautiful necklace by his father. When he was around seven, eight years old, the father gave her a necklace. When he was about 16, the father kept asking her, can I have the necklace back? Can I have your necklace? That little girl, who is now almost 16 years old, refused to give up her necklace. Hey, Daddy, this is mine. You gave it to me. The father said, yes, I know I gave it to you, but can I have it back? So the girl refused. But every time they are together, do you know this Tagalog word, uh, makulit? <laughs> makulit in English is makulit. It means uh, you keep repeating. So the father kept repeating. Can I have the necklace back? So the girl decided, you know what? I'm not going to spend time with my father anymore. Every time I spend time with him, he keeps asking for the necklace. So she began to avoid him. But you know what? She began to feel bad. She lost the joy because she, used, she loved her father. And, and they like to be together. But now she's no longer happy. Why? Because she wants to keep her necklace and she wants to avoid her father. So she finally made up her mind. Okay, I will spend time with my father and if he asks for my necklace again, I'll just give it. So one night, she saw her father. She spent time with, her, with the father. And lo and behold, the father said, can I have your necklace? She began to cry. Okay, dad, here's my necklace. The father got it, threw it in the fireplace. <laughs> she, she, she was horrified. And the necklace began to melt. You know why? Because the necklace is made of plastic. So the father brought up another beautiful gift wrap, something that is wrapped. So she opened it. Guess what? It's a necklace that is more beautiful, but it is made of real pearl. The girl looked at it, the girl said, oh, daddy, it is even nicer than the other one. The father said, yes, I've been wanting to give you the real necklace, made of genuine pearl. That one is just plastic. And I realize many Christians are like that little girl. You cling on to your plastic. God is asking you. Yes. God is asking you to surrender your eyes up. And you have no idea what God will give in exchange for your eyes up. Let me close with the real story of a girl who wanted to marry 
a guy from Germany. I know that German guy. He's a good guy. He stayed with me in our house. That was a problem. When the girl asked her father, can I marry this man? The father said no. So the girl came to see me. What do I do? I'm already over 25. That man is mature. He's a Christian. I want to marry him. But my dad does not want. What do I do? You see, I like to make her happy, but I owe it to God and to the Bible to give her proper counsel. I said, don't marry. You wait. Because the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. She began to cry. I said, you have to trust God. Do you believe God has your best interest? She said, yes. Do you believe that God can overrule your father? Should God want you to marry the girl? She said, yes. God is sovereign. God can change the mind of my father. All right? Trust God. Obey your father. Tell the boyfriend, maybe we should wait. Or maybe it's not God's will. Or maybe it's God's will, not God's time. So the boy is a Christian. I talked to the boy. He went back to Germany. After two years, he wrote back, I'm sorry, I cannot wait anymore. I'm getting married. Of course, the girl was devastated. But you know what? After that, the girl met a Singaporean who is a doctor. Of course, this time, the father gave the blessing. What's my point? My point is you will never know what God has in mind for you until you surrender your Isaac. My wife surrendered her Isaac. My wife enjoyed San Francisco. My wife had a boyfriend. The boyfriend had a Porsche. The boyfriend was a black belter. The boyfriend played guitar. But God told her to come to the Philippines. I had my own Isaac. I surrendered, I surrendered my Isaac to the Lord. My, my Isaac was business. My, my Isaac was to go to the States and work. I surrendered all of those to the Lord. And guess what? In exchange for Isaac, God gave her somebody better. <laughs> Friends, you will not know what you miss if you cling on to your Isaac. I've seen many Christians, they settle for second best. They settle for something that is not God's best. Because nobody ever taught them to encounter, experience the reality of God's goodness. You have to surrender your Isaac. Watch your Isaac. Let's bow our heads. If God has been speaking to you, and God is telling you today, surrender your Isaac, I want to pray for you. 
If there's any Isaac in your life, and I know there is, and God wants you to surrender that, will you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Yes. Anybody else? You say, today I will surrender my Isaac. Higher, higher. Okay. You have an Isaac in your life, and God is asking you to surrender. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Give them up. I want to pray for you. You know, Isaac is not easy to surrender. But you know what? If you don't surrender it, you will never know what you're going to miss. And sometimes it prevents you from receiving the best. You know what is your best? God himself. Intimacy with him. And some of you are no longer intimate with the Lord. Something is blocking it. Why? Because you keep clinging on to your Isaac. You keep compromising. And God is saying, you know what? Your greatest gift is myself. And God wants you to have himself for you. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pray for all of you. Those of you who are willing to surrender your Isaac, I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to pray with me. Something like this. Lord Jesus, here I am. I surrender to you, my Isaac. Lord, you know what it is. Will you now pray right now? You tell Jesus, whatever it is, you tell him right now, Lord, I surrender blank, blank to you. Father God, we are surrendering our Isaacs in faith. Promptly, obediently, expectantly. Because I know, Lord, we can never outgive you. Will you bless your people here today? Especially those who are struggling. Lord, there may be some people here who don't even know you. They don't realize you died on the cross, just like Isaac. You surrendered yourself. I pray for them, Lord Jesus, that you give them a humble heart to come to you. Will you open their eyes to realize you love them, you died for them. Will you bless everybody here today? And let them realize the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.